Thank you, David. Philippians chapter 4 this afternoon. And while you're looking that up, I'll just say two things. Number one, as I was finishing that beautiful meal there, I thought, boy, I sure hope the preaching's good this afternoon. Uh, that was a fabulous meal. Thank you very much. The ladies are probably still cleaning up, but thank you very much. That was wonderful, as all the meals have been. And then I'll also say what a privilege it has been to have been here with Brother Roy and, uh, and also to meet a lot of people that I have not met before. Uh, you've made my first visit to Southern California very memorable, and we trust in the will of the Lord to be back next year. Hope my wife will be able to join me next year and... Uh, I told her, I called her the other uh, day after I'd arrived uh, here not too long, and I said, dear, just pack the stuff up in the house. I'm not coming back. Come on down here. This is a beautiful, this is a beautiful part of the world. I come from uh, Ontario, Canada, and I began to wonder if the Lord caused me to be born in the wrong Ontario. Uh, but at any rate... It's been wonderful to be here. Philippians chapter 4, we'll begin reading at verse 6. Philippians 4 and 6, be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Are you the worrying kind? Worry can afflict all of us. The word care or anxiety, uh, as we find it here in verse 6, really means to, to draw the mind in different directions. Anxiety is the state of an unsettled mind that is searching for a solution. It is drawn in different directions. It is darting back and forth, searching for some solution to a problem, unable to find the solution, and so it creates a state of anxiety. The natural man, that is, 
the man without God, what we are apart from knowing Christ, apart from possessing uh, spiritual life, the natural man craves independence and control. He likes to be in control of everything. We are, as they say, naturally control freaks. We like to have everything nailed down. We like to know when this is going to happen, how it's going to happen. We like to have that sense of control. And the natural man uh, finds himself in anxiety when he, he, he tries to assert control and maintain this fantasy of independence uh, when in fact he doesn't have control. That he's not able to have all the answers uh, to the problems of life. We began this little series in Philippians by focusing on that verse in chapter 1 that said that he hath, that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And part of that work that he performs in our lives is to wean us away from what we think naturally to what we should be thinking as spiritual men and women, as Paul reminds us, the just shall live by faith. Now we sang that beautiful hymn about trusting the Lord that will follow his footsteps that where he leads, we will go without a murmur. Now, you know what I don't like about hymns like that? Those tunes, the, 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 the person who wrote the music to that hymn did a beautiful job, and it's so easy to sing it, isn't it? In fact, I sometimes sing that hymn as if that's a reality in my life. But often it's not. Sometimes we go murmuring all the way, don't we? But the Lord does lead us, and he allows uncontrollable circumstances to enter our lives that we might learn a lesson to know the peace and luxury of dependence upon God. God makes no mistakes in what he allows in our lives. And so Paul says, be anxious, be careful for nothing. Now, anxiety is the common lot of the natural man, and we should not be surprised that we find ourselves in circumstances that make us very anxious, that make us very uh, fearful, that cause us to worry, that give us sleepless nights and anxious days. And we pick up a verse like this in Philippians chapter 4, and Paul seems to make it so easy. He says, be careful for nothing. He forbids anxiety ruling our lives. How then can we know what it is to overcome anxiety? How really can we live in light of what this verse uh, proposes to us, uh, promises to us? I mean, this isn't just nice poetry or something to think, uh, sing about, or, or create a nice-looking plaque or text to hang on the wall. This is intended to be lived out in daily experience to know what it is to live an anxious, free life. Is that really possible? Is that really practical? Well, according to Paul's words here in Philippians chapter 4, it is. Anxiety can cause us even to have a physical reaction 
and, and to, to, to physically react as we, as we contemplate overwhelming circumstances in life. We see David had this experience. Turn for a moment to, we'll come back to Philippians 4, but turn for a moment to, to Psalm 31, where David uh, describes a very anxious experience he had. Psalm 31. We read at verse 9. Here is David's cry. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, who's weeping. Yea, my soul and my belly, for my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing, my strength faileth because of mine iniquity. I was approached among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me uh, without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man. Out of mind I am like a broken vessel. Here was a man in deep distress. Here was a man overcome with trouble in his life. It was affecting him emotionally. It was affect, affecting him physically. It was affecting him psychologically. Uh, verse 10, he says, for my life is spent with grief. Now, all of a sudden, this, this uh, described his whole life. Well, his whole life wasn't spent in grief, but so overwhelming was this problem, it, it blocked out many of the good things that David had enjoyed in life. It was affecting his whole thought process psychologically. He says, my strength faileth because of mine iniquity. It affected him socially. Uh, he felt he was a reproach. Whether he actually was or not might be a question, but that nonetheless is how he felt. He felt he was being ostracized. He felt alone in the midst of his trouble. Here was a man overcome with anxiety and fear in the midst of some kind of trouble. Happily, throughout this psalm, we find the, uh, he, he didn't live there, that, that he was released from this, uh, that he found the answer to this. Uh, notice what he says in verse 14, the sharp contrast from the verses that we have read. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Down to verse 24. He is now really on the up, upswing now. Verse 24, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. David is saying, I have come through a time of distressing trouble, but I have found that through trusting God, I, I discovered peace. I discovered an answer, and so he now is going out to us, to others, and he's saying, if you have the same problem that I've had, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, even though you might not feel it precisely at this moment, trust in God will not disappoint you, all ye that hope in the Lord." The Philippian believers evidently worried. Steve, uh, Kenneth Wiest, in his translation of Philippians uh, 4 and 6, puts it this way, Stop perpetually worrying about even one thing, but everything by prayer. Stop perpetually worrying. 
Some people are what they call a worry wart. They thrive on worry. In fact, they're not happy unless they're worrying. They live with worry and anxiety. Stop perpetually worrying about even one thing, but in everything by prayer. The Bible is full of promises that challenges us to trust the Lord and not worry. Why we're in the Psalms here, we'll go over to Psalm 34. We have another uh, example, or several examples, of God's promises to the believer. Psalm 34 and 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. That's quite a statement, isn't it? I sought the Lord, he heard me, and he delivered me from some of my fears, most of my fears. He says, all of my fears. Uh, we go down to verse 6. Uh, it wasn't just David's own personal experience. He looked around and he saw others were having the same experience. Verse 6, he says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth about, around about them that fear him and delivereth them. Uh, we notice in this psalm, if we had the time to go through it, we would see how frequently he uses that comprehensive word all. All his fears, all his troubles, out of all their troubles. Uh, notice verse 18, the Lord is nigh, uh, verse 17 rather, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Now, in our reaction against the health and wealth and prosperity gospel messengers, we always like to emphasize that if you become a Christian, don't think that God is going to take all your troubles away. But on the other hand, there is a sense of promise in which God is, in, is with us in all our troubles. And God has a way of working all those things out. Now, they might not all be removed, but God has a way of turning them on their head. And instead of destroying us, they serve to cause greater things to happen in our lives. Delivereth them out of all uh, their troubles. David, in the 34th Psalm, turn over to the 62nd Psalm. Psalm 62, we find similar language, also from David. Psalm 62 and verse 1, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, I shall not be greatly moved. Down to verse 5. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Down to verse 8. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. The words of David in the Psalms. Let's go forward and, and look at Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, similar pro, uh, promises, this time from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 43, verse 2, uh, he says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. This is the promise of God. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. 
When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle uh, upon thee. We'll forward to chapter 51 of Isaiah. Isaiah 51 and verse 12. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that should, thou shouldst be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the son of man which shall be made as grass? And forgettest the Lord thy maker, that hath stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and has feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? In other words, he is the God that comforts and strengthens us. The creator God is our God. And so we find all kinds of promises like this. Verse 15, But I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. While we're in the neighborhood here, why don't we call on Nahum and see if he's home this afternoon. Hope he isn't having his Sunday afternoon sleep. Nahum 1 and 7. Nahum 1 and 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Now these are just a selection of a few verses and you know in your reading, your daily reading of the scriptures that we come across, all kinds of promises like this. It's not an isolated case. It's not limited to David or limited to Moses or Jacob or Isaiah. But it is right throughout scripture, God's commitment to care for his people and his invitation to us to trust him. But if we're really going to trust him, if it's really going to be practical and real in our lives, by definition of necessity, we are going to find ourselves in circumstances beyond our control. And our first reaction is going to be one naturally of anxiety and fear. But let's analyze Paul's exhortation and promise to us in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 and 6, be careful for nothing. Or as some translations put it, be anxious for nothing. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Be anxious for nothing. I mean, there's no qualifications here. There's no exceptions. Uh, there's no waffling. There's no equivocation here. It's a pretty plain, bold, declarative statement. Be anxious for nothing. That's worth letting sink into our hearts and minds. It's a, it's a universal promise. It anticipates every possible experience or situation that a human being could find themselves in and assures us that no matter what our trouble might be, God has promised to care for us in it and see us through it. That anxiety and fear and worry is not the place that we should go in times of trouble. You will accomplish nothing by worrying. You will not solve the problem by worrying. You will not stop the problem by worrying. You accomplish nothing by worrying. Be careful for 
nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Secondly, be in prayer about everything. Second part of the verse, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Pray about everything. Do we pray? I mean, do we really pray? Well, we pray before we eat. We pray to open the meeting. We pray to close the meeting when we're together. But as individuals, personally, are we really men and women of prayer? That's a real basic, simple question, isn't it? But are we really men and women of prayer? It seems that prayer, although perhaps the easiest thing to do, is at the same time the most difficult thing to do. That is, difficult to do on a regular, consistent basis. To, do with a, to pray with a sense of expectation. To pray with a sense of looking for answers. To pray with the sense of confidence that we have actually communicated with the eternal creator God. To pray with the sense that we know what it is to have a conscious, intelligent fellowship with the living God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What really is the disadvantage of prayer? I mean, can you think of one? Is there a single reason why we shouldn't be men and women of prayer? When we wake up in the morning, how is it that we don't often allow ourselves to spend time in prayer? How is it that we can hurry to check our Facebook and check our email and check our, uh, the stock market and the overnight news and all these kinds of things, but we don't hurry into a quiet place alone with God to pray? The stock market will wait, the email will wait, the news will wait, and, and uh, believe it or not, even Facebook will wait for you. Do you spend time with God in prayer? John Newton, the famous uh, hymn writer of Amazing Grace, uh, which we like to sing, also wrote many other beautiful hymns. Some of them are in our hymn books, uh, although I notice we don't sing a lot of them very often, but he wrote some beautiful hymns. Here's one of them in connection with prayer. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare, or thy, thy case prepare, thy request prepare. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray, therefore will not say thee nay. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Prayer. Are we men and women of prayer? Be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. And then he tells us that in our prayer, uh, we are to do it uh, with thanksgiving. We are to do it with thanksgiving. We are to be thankful in prayer. To be thankful in prayer. 
That is, we are to be thankful for our many other blessings, to list our many other blessings. And this is beyond question a worthwhile exercise. When we are overcome with some kind of problem or difficulty or trial, sometimes that is the only thing we think about. The first thing we think about when we wake up in the morning, uh, the last thing we think about when we go to bed at night, we might wake up during the night thinking about it. It might consume our thinking throughout the day. And Paul says here, uh, as we approach God in prayer, be thankful, be thankful for the many other good things God has given you. The many other blessings he has brought to bear on your life. As the old hymn says, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Name them, list them, write them out if you have to. Name them one by one and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It really will surprise you. It will help to put things in perspective. And so Paul says that we are to pray with thanksgiving for our many other blessings. And then we are to pray with thanksgiving for this particular need or problem that you have. To thank the Lord for the problem that you find yourself in. Knowing that He has a purpose. He has a design. He has a reason. There is something good He wants to bring into your life through the difficulty of this trial. And there is nothing beyond God's control and power to turn into good. Even the work of Satan himself is sometimes turned into good. Satan doesn't intend it to be that way. But behind the scenes, God is able to cause that to happen. We have several examples, but one outstanding one, I think, is in the life of Paul. You remember how he spoke about that experience uh, where he, he suffered the attack of, of the messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. And Paul uh, was overcome with this sense of weakness, whatever it might be. Some feel it was a physical problem he had. It might have been some other kind of problem, but, what, but regardless, the source of it was the messenger of Satan. He says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. And the idea of that is, is that it was, it was blow upon blow upon blow. It wasn't just a, a minor pinprick in the finger. It was blow upon blow upon blow. It just seemed to be a relentless attack of the messenger of Satan. It was, it was an impaling of Paul is really what it was. This thorn in the flesh. Uh, it's not a thorn in the sense of what we might see on a rose bush or something like that. This was an impaling attack upon Paul. I mean, it was devastating. Whatever it was, the messenger of Satan. Now, the messengers of Satan, uh, Satan's objective uh, was to shut Paul down. Uh, Paul was becoming a threat to the powers of darkness. He was spreading the gospel through the world. And, and Satan wasn't going to just sit back and take it and watch his own kingdom be destroyed. And so he sent a messenger out to attack Paul. And Paul says he sought the Lord three times that it might depart from him. And three times the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, Paul learned a vital lesson, the secret to spiritual power in our lives and in our ministries reside not in our own self-confidence or abilities, but in utter dependence upon God. Now, the messenger of Satan came in and was causing all kinds of chaos and havoc in Paul's life. And standing back and looking at it, the first reaction would be, why, Lord, are you allowing this? Why don't you take this away? Are you aware of what's happening? I'm limited, Paul would have thought. I, I can't move about in the gospel as I wanted to. I seem to be hemmed in and, and, and shut down. God, where are you in this? The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul learned that the secret of strength and power and effectiveness resided in his utter and complete dependence on the grace of God and not on his own sense of self-confidence. Now, the messenger, that messenger of Satan, he likely lost his job because he did a terrible job. Instead of shutting down Paul, he multiplied his power, that the power of God was working through the life of Paul as a result of the attack of the messenger of Satan. Our lives can sometimes take some dark turns. We might even think Satan is behind it. Coming into our homes, coming into our families. You notice his attack on Job. Uh, he attacked Job's family. He, he attacked Job's health. He attacked Job's business. He attacked Job's marriage. I mean, there wasn't much else to attack. That was the mark of Satan. That's how Satan works. And the strange thing is, God sometimes allows it. And yet, what did God do in Job's case? Well, for one thing, the whole strategy has been exposed for countless believers to observe, and they can see sometimes they too find themselves in Job-like ex Job experiences. And they know that ultimately God will get the victory, even though there may appear to be a temporary setback. Prayer. Be thankful for this particular need or problem. God has a purpose in what he is doing. And he may be educating you and he may be educating me in knowing what it is to trust God implicitly. You know, Brother Bill McDonald, we all loved him very much, except he wrote that very painful book, True Discipleship. And that was not the way to win friends and influence people. But one of the things he says in that book is, we'd rather trust a bank account we can see than the God we can't see. And you know, Bill had a way of putting things and say, yeah, well, why didn't I think of that, you know? We'd rather trust a bank account we can see rather than the God we can't see. You see, it seems so absurd when he puts it that way. Why would we trust the tangible? Why would we trust the little things that we think we can control in life rather than trusting the God of infinite grace and power who has a deep personal interest in your life and mine? Imagine that. The God of creation is personally interested in you, your life, 
your circumstances, that of your family, your concerns. He's personally interested in that. Ask, uh, give thanks rather for this particular need or problem. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Do we ever really ask the Lord for anything? Sometimes we say, well, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray about it. Well, what are you going to pray about? What are you actually going to say in your prayer? Uh, have you ever asked the Lord for anything? I mean, that's what he says. He says, let your requests be made known unto God. I mean, sometimes our requests, are, are, they're kind of vague, they're ill-defined, they're weak. I suppose at the back of our mind, sometimes we're wondering, well, maybe this isn't the Lord's will. And so we sort of pray with all kinds of qualifiers on it. Well, of course, if this is your will and all this kind of thing, it all sounds very spiritual. But it seems to blunt the edge of making requests. I mean, if I ask the Lord for something, and I don't know whether it's his will or not. I mean, we're not going to ask the Lord for something that Scripture clearly forbids in our lives. We know we're not going to ask him for that. But if I don't really know whether it's the Lord's will or not, then ask. Ask him. You'll find out whether it's his will or not. He'll let you know whether it's his will or not. But at least ask. Ask something, ask God, have the courage and faith to say, God, I'm going to take you at your word. You say, let my requests be made known unto God. Well, here's my request. Here's my need. Here's the need in my family. Here's the need in my business. Here's the need in our assembly. Here's the need in some area of our lives. Ask God to do something. That's what prayer is intended to be. It's not a question. Prayer was never intended for us to just make noise and say things to God without any expectation that we'd ever see an answer to that prayer. Read the great books on prayer and see how men and women really prayed about things and saw God answer in real, specific, and tangible ways. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And we notice there is the promised peace of God that will result. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth or surpasses or rises above is the idea there. All understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The promised peace of God. Isaiah 26 and 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And this is where the battle of worry and anxiety resides. It is in the mind. He says thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. A double portion of peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Whose mind is not stayed on the problem whose mind is not stayed on your inability to solve the problem, but whose mind is stayed on God. This takes spiritual exercise and maturity, doesn't it? 
the promised peace of God. The Lord Jesus said in John 14 and 27, My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. My peace, that is, the peace that he knew, the peace that he experienced. As he moved through this world and all that our Lord Jesus Christ faced, he says, the peace that I have entrusted God is something that I want to impart to you. So he promises us peace. Now, what does that peace look like? The peace of God, which passes all understanding. It rises above understanding. And this is where the difficulty comes in. Because it seems that we have an expectation, perhaps, that the peace that we're going to get is the peace that comes through the circumstances being favorable to us. Now, God might do that. He might change your circumstances. You remember the disciples on the ship and the storm arose and they cried out to him for help and he spoke and he stood up and he spoke and he rebuked the winds and the waves. And there was a great calm and they had peace. And he says to them, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Well, I would have, if I was there, I might have spoken up and said, well, because of that storm that was going to kill us, that's why we were doubting. He said, why are you doubting? Now, in that case, he's calmed the storm, and many times he will calm the storm. But that account is given to us in three of the Gospels, and in another account of the Gospel, I've just forgotten which one it is at the moment, but one of the accounts of that in one of the Gospels, the Lord says to them, uh, why are you doubting? He said it while the storm was still raging. Why are you doubting? Why are you doubting? I mean, the question seems absurd, doesn't it? In other words, the implication of that question is, I am in control whether this storm is allowed to blow or whether I change the circumstances of this storm. Regardless, I am still in control. Sometimes the Lord will answer our prayer and he will change the circumstances that is causing us trouble and worry and fear. He will do that and there will be a great calm and he can rebuke the, the winds and the waves that are blowing across your life today. You may think they're impossible to solve, but God can solve them. God can solve your problems. But on other occasions, he may let the storm blow for a while. He may want to draw you out in faith, to try your faith. We talk about being men and women of faith, all right? Well, let's take it out. Let's road test that faith and see if it really works in real life experience. And so the peace that he may give us is not going to be us understanding everything about the circumstance. It is going to rise above. It is going to be a higher level. The storm may continue to blow, but even though it's blowing, like Christ, who was asleep in the ship, he will allow us, in a sense, to fall asleep in the midst of the chaos. Not that we become disengaged, not that we, we bury our head in the sand, not that we pretend that this isn't really happening, but rather that settled sense that the Lord in his own time 
is going to work this situation out. It is a peace that passes all understanding, he says. It will keep your heart and your mind. It will guard both the heart and mind because it's the heart and mind that is going to lead us astray. It's the heart and the mind that always wants to climb back into the level of anxiety. It is the mind that says, well, what if, and what if, and what if. It's the mind that's constantly going back and searching for a solution that it can't find back into the loop of anxiety. And he says this will guard the heart and mind. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall guard like a military guard, high security guard, will keep the heart and the mind from fear and anxiety. And then in verse 8, very quickly, he says to guard your own mind. To guard your own mind. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. And he lists all of these whatsoever's here that we are to think about. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. See, one of the problems with fear and anxiety is, is we, start the, we allow our minds to start thinking about things that aren't really true. Things that we imagine. What if? What if that happens? What if th this happens? What if this? What if that? What if the other thing? Well, we're starting to imagine things that aren't even true. We're now getting detached from reality. He says, guard your mind. Think on what is true. Well, what's true? Well, God is true. His promise is true. His commitment to us is true. Prayer is true. His care for you is true. His power is true. Think on what is true. Because the circumstances you are facing, you may not be accurately reading. And you may, in fact, not be thinking about what is true. And it is contributing to anxiety. Guard your own mind. And then consider the testimony of others. Verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do... And the God of peace shall be with you. Consider the testimony of others. Stuart Hamblin reminded us in that hymn that he wrote, song that he wrote, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. It's true. God will do for you what he has done for others. Paul says, look, what you've seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Again, as we pointed out in one of the messages, Paul wasn't sitting on a cruise ship when he wrote this letter. He was sitting in prison. If anyone had a reason to be anxious, to be fearful, to be worried, it would have been Paul. And yet he writes with, with, with an unusual calm in the midst of crisis of circumstances. He said, and so uh, we should consider others. See how God has answered the prayer of others. The scriptures are full of examples of this. Christian biographies are full of the examples of this. To see what God has done in other, others. Uh, he, will, he will also do for you what he's done for others, he'll do for you. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that we should learn contentment. Sometimes that's the cause of our anxiety. We're restless. We want something more than what we have. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He learned contentment. Contentment. Uh, that's a difficult thing to learn. 
There's so many things, so many opportunities, so many situations that seem within our grasp that we can easily become distracted in life and become anxious when we don't get something that we want. Paul says, I've learned to be content. I've learned. I've had to learn this. He says, I've learned to abound. I've learned uh, when, when I've been living in abundance, when I've had more than I needed materially, when circumstances were going well, when everything was right, I've learned to be content in those circumstances. But he says, I've also learned to be content when things are difficult, when I haven't had enough, when things haven't been going well, when it's been very difficult. He says, I am instructed both to be full, to have the experience of, be, of abounding, of fullness, and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, later on, Paul will give us that promise to the Philippians, and for us as well, verse 19, that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that certainly is true and something that we can count on. But also in the process, we may go through times of need, times when we don't seem to have enough, whether it be materially, whether it be in some other sphere, we, we, we seem to have need. And he says, I've learned to be content. I've learned to suffer need and to wait upon God to meet that need. And then finally, all of this, all of this can only be done through Christ. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, this poor verse is often uh, uh, wrenched out of its context and, and given, uh, uh, treated like a slogan that we can just sort of slap over our lives and say we can go out and do anything we want through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know, if I want to go skydiving or do something like that, I can just do anything I want, you know, uh, and I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But it really has its context, doesn't it? And the context here is this very experience. I can pass through times of deep need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, that I can really know the peace of God that passes understanding. I can really know what it is to trust in his peace in difficult circumstances. I can really live being careful for nothing. I can really live in making everything known to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I can really let my requests be made known to God. I can really look with expectation to answered prayer. I can do all of those things through Christ which strengtheneth me. An anxious free life is a witness and a testimony to the gospel. In the midst of a world that is full of uncertainties and Christians are not exempt from the uncertainties, the economic uncertainties, the political uncertainties, the social unrest, Christians are not exempt from all of these things. But to be able to live in the midst of an uncertain world with a sense of peace is a witness to the gospel. The Lord has solved every problem you have. Think of that. He has the, the answer to your problem. Give him time. Give him the time. He wants, he needs in your life to show you the answer. Circumstances of need that might cause us initially to be anxious. 
develop this dependence upon the Lord. It's not comfortable for the natural man. It's like when you, when you decide you want to get fit, you know, and you go into one of these exercise regimes, you get on the internet and you learn how you're going to lose 40 pounds in 10 days and be, be fit and all these kinds of things. You start doing all these ridiculous things and getting up early and running around your neighborhood like a madman and, and all these crazy things. You know, what happens after about the first day or two? You are in agony, aren't you? You've got muscles are crying out in pain because they have not been used. And sometimes trusting God is like that. It exercises spiritual muscles that we haven't used. It takes us into a level of living by faith, and it can be a painful experience. Independence, living with a sense of control over life, where everything is under our control, is really idolatry. It robs us of spiritual growth for the man or woman of faith. We should fear not circumstances which find us in need. These give us opportunity to walk by faith as we are called to do. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The poet has written these words, Say not my soul from whence? Can God relieve my care? Remember that omnipotence has servants everywhere. His wisdom is divine, his heart profoundly kind. God never is before his time and never is behind. Shall we pray? Father, we're grateful again for the promises of the word of God. And we thank thee, Father, for this practical truth that Paul brings before us in this uh, little epistle to the Philippians. Uh, although written centuries ago, uh, still speaks to us today. Help us, our Father, to enter into this in a real and practical way, to know what it is to uh, navigate the storms of life with trust in God, to enter into this promise of peace, uh, that we might know what it is to live not trusting ourselves, not depending on ourselves, but trusting as God, that we might be be men and women of faith, that we might really live by faith as we are called to do. We thank thee again, our Father, for the fellowship and time we've had at this conference, and we ask thee to bless this place and this work of the Lord here at Claremont. We pray that this fellowship will be kept and preserved faithful until our Lord Jesus Christ returns to his honor and glory and in his name.